What is an anti-pattern? Uh, something that you shouldn't be doing. Well, that's subjective. Like, give me an example of one. Uh, a single. Well, so hey, friend. Single. Yeah, sometimes friends. friends let friends singleton. Yeah, no, no, they do not. <laughs> So then there's still two more things with the back end. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, the other one was we wanted to introduce um, dependency injection. And this is to kind of uh, fulfill our uh, unit testing desire. Yeah. Um, I, what the caveat right now is we are not doing unit testing or we're try, we try to do the best that we can. It's but like, like the first thing to go when anything gets hard. Like you stub your toe, you're like, yeah, we're going to throw out unit testing. <laughs> like yeah. it never, we, we make this concerted effort for like two weeks and then we well, we've kickstarted it a couple times. Yeah, and it never holds. I <sighs> well, so so it, here's a set. Okay, there there is one major deficiency, and there is a uh, tangible connection between the database and the service layer, and that needs to be severed. That's that's what's oh, really yeah, that's yeah. what's really killing it. Yeah. Um. Because ah. the yeah. So the the original problem that I introduced is still not solved. Well, we, we can't mock the data access. We can. The problem is because we brought in um, Entity Framework Core into all of our services, and just by adding that using statement, like it, oh, by, yeah, by that yeah, definition, yeah. we did it wrong. Yeah, we're like instantiating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, so the next one, it, it's a less of a challenge, but it was still something, was adding dependency injection, right? So we have these new services; they're all interfaces. How are you going to use the concretes? We could build the concretes and. Um, actually, well, dependency injection is just interesting in general because of how many states we support and difference in business logic, but that's a different going to that in a minute. States meaning like different implementations of our software for different clients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so dependency injection, typically, uh, in root, uh, .NET core, added a dependency injector with it by default called the unity unity uh dependency injection something like that and that one only supported uh constructor injection or parameter injection uh, as the two potential options new system easy to do um, however we need to reuse these same interfaces in our old system so how do you do that that is something and we couldn't just go around and refactor everything and be like, okay, let's put it in the constructor because the constructors are used in other things. Like there's just a lot of goofy patterns that we didn't want to add the risk to it. Um, luckily, uh, Ninject had an implementation that did uh, property injection. Ninject being a DI framework? Yeah, yeah. It was a, a framework implementation of dependency injection. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so they did property injection. So we were able to, so we scaffolded in the dependency injector saying like, okay, this is, you know, on startup, do your whole thing. And then in every user control, we had to, we, we didn't have to, but whenever we decided to use our new BL information, boom, make a new property, say we're gonna inject it, we're off to the races. Is it just like a data annotation on the top mm -hmm. of the property? Huh. Yeah, dumb simple. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, it's. I think it's typically considered an anti-pattern, but like they built it in. And What is an anti-pattern? Uh, something that you shouldn't be doing. Well, that's subjective. Like, give me an example of one. Uh, a single. Well, so. Hey, friend, single, yeah, sometimes friends. friends let friends singleton. Yeah, no, no, they do not. 
Um, actually, so to, to go back to Robert's point of the BL, uh, everything was static extension methods, which is why it could not be unit tested. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you couldn't, you couldn't, that was a nightmare. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it, it was cool to write with. Like, yeah. No, but like there's, there's certain things like, um, like sometimes it's desired, right? So like a singleton typically is considered an anti-pattern. But why? Uh, because it's stateful generally and you can't like reinstantiate. But like there, but sometimes there's purpose. Would... No, right. Yeah. But, but there's purpose for it. Like there's, um, like so sometimes if you do like a factory, that can be considered an anti-pattern depending on how you use it, because a dependency injector should be your factory. Yeah. Right. But we have implementations where we have to, we build additional factories to kind of traverse like um, statuses between processes. Yeah. Just the word. This is just me being picky, but it's like. It's something you should avoid unless it's absolutely necessary. Generally, generally an, there's well, generally there is a pattern to we do. We were to we avoid were working it. no, it's it's the we're we were working on that that document of database designs. This would have been one of those yellow things, the things to avoid. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's there there's a there's a there could be an, a solid argument for every anti pattern out there. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. they, they all have their uses. Yeah. But generally, when it's an anti-pattern, uh, the scalability and the maintenance of it usually is a nightmare. Yeah. So when something goes wrong, like you're not going to think the singleton, or maybe you do, but like, which one is it, and why? Why is it not working in this one so scenario? Are, like, are static variables anti-pattern? Sta- static variables are anti-pattern. They're a bad time. Yeah. That was a that's a whole other nightmare on our side. Yeah. But we we just had to deal with that. We did. It we- sucked. Moving from a, a a single tenant to a multi tenant, yeah, that, static killed us. Yeah, are, that are, was ninety percent of the. Are work. we out of the woods with that still? No, the business, the old my old BL layer is still. Yeah, it's alive and kicking. Oh geez, okay. Yeah, there's there's only five there's five instances of it that are hot garbage. Yeah, so for context, uh, the way that the application was originally built was every every tenant every client. Um, got, their got, own implementation. got their own implementation it was deployed to their to a web server uh, so so memory and everything was isolated isolated yeah yeah and that you know there, that worked but again it, it doesn't scale well because as you add more clients you add more overhead because now you have another DevOps pipeline another release schedule another you need more servers so the the maintainability yeah it, it doesn't scale yeah, so we decided we decided, hey, we're we're at a point in the maturity of this app where we need to seriously consider moving to a multi-tenanted model, which most software as a service is multi-tenanted. When you sign up for a new account on yep. your typical SaaS website, you're not given a new server; you're just kind of like brought alongside in the existing server. Yeah. So, like, you're uh, you know, if anybody is using any um, like planning platforms like Trello, yeah, Jira, all multi-tenanted process, yeah. like yeah, because you get either a subdomain or some like or there's something in the URL um yeah yeah so we we recently moved to a multi-tenanted model we haven't quite gone there yet like the code is 99% there to support it we're and doing hope- a lot of internal testing to yeah. make, to validate that this is this is going to be a vi- sorry we know it's a viable option we're just working out the kinks yet. yeah trying to find all the bugs that are going to be caused by doing it and dealing with all the issues with deployment and everything and it's it's a whole thing but yeah that i remember the static variables was a huge hurdle like there was a whole like month we spent like just identifying static variables and yeah fixing them 